0: summoned the scream writers podcast the premier podcast welcoming both veteran and up and coming horror screenwriters slay
1: their craft
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and
2: now your hosts welcome to the scream writers podcast where we talk about scream writing. Yes, that's right. The art of horror screenwriting. We're talking up and coming screenwriters. We're talking established horror screenwriters. That's what we're talking about. And I'm joined by our fab season two guest host, Miss Katie Moyer. Katie Moyer, what's going on?
0: Ahoy. Oh,
2: ahoy. Oh, we're getting nautical today. Ahoy. Is that because you're going on your trip, your vacation? Are you going somewhere Uh, nautical? Where the hell are you
0: going? No. I'm going uh, down to the SoCal. I learned recently that Graham Bell, uh, that was when he first answered the first telephone, that was the appropriate greeting was ahoy. So... Hmm.
2: Okay. Where, where are you going on your trip? I mean, nobody is going to stalk you. It's just we want to know where you're going for the holidays because you are I going for a nice I will
0: be at, exa- let me give you the GPS coordinates. Yeah, um, exactly where you're going, you
2: know, the, the key code for the door and all that stuff.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I am going to uh, Carlsbad, California. I grew up in North County, San Diego, so uh, my family's there. That's where I met my husband. And uh, we actually lived in Carlsbad for a long time. My dad has a timeshare there. So we stay there whenever we go and visit and, um, or if it's available and think it was surprisingly for the holidays. So we um, got in on that. We'll be there for a week.
2: Wow. What a cute story. You met your hubby there. That's and that's oh, and it just all began from there. And then that's how we had Evie and it all comes full circle. And that's how she gets to join us. It's
0: kind of crazy because I definitely I went away to school. I wasn't in, I was in Santa Barbara for school and I just went back there as like a temporary thing. The whole intention was like go to LA, do be a PA, work in the industry. Even though I hate LA, I absolutely hate LA i had a friend who was in new york who was like goading me with you know coming and writing stage plays and um and instead it all fell apart because my husband came into my life and i realized that and, and i got a job at a television station doing writing in san diego so there was that too it wasn't just like i fell in love and i gave up everything like no that didn't happen i had a good job
2: <laughs> right of
0: course you did. of course so but so, um, so you're
2: going out there for the holidays um, yes. rekindling your romantic connection with your hubby a little bit, or well, at least going to like the place Evie, you met, so right? it'll, it'll, but you can at least go to the place you first met. Where did you guys first meet? Uh,
0: no, we've, we've been like 86 from that bar. Oh, um.
2: God. I don't want to hear that story. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. I do want to hear that story, but, but <laughs> offline, another time, off, yeah, yeah, off air. Are you going to do any writing out there while you're on vacation or is this pure, like close your mind off and
0: yes, I'm actually, I I've been, um, boosted with an idea of a very exciting, um, collection of stories stories that I will be writing. Um, My goal is to finish the collection by my birthday in May. And they're all, yeah. So they're all going to have a very similar through line. I'm not going to give up too much here because I don't want anyone to steal it. But it's going to marry two of my favorite things in life, which are horror and um, behavioral sciences. So it'll be fun. Fantastic. (laughs) No,
2: it sounds sounds absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's a great time to you know, you have you do have some downtime, obviously, during the year. And of course, I finished revelatory. So I have done a screenplay last year. But Mm -hmm. it's always a nice time if you are going away and you have some downtime, do some writing. Do, take some time, like clear your head and it's a nice little reset and you could start the new year with some some fresh pages under your belt.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I currently have ideas on um, index cards, which is something I like to do. So that way I can just like pull them out of my drawer and just like if I there's an idea I have, I can pull it out and be like, oh, yeah, OK, this one. Or if I don't know what to write, I'll go through my index cards and I'll be like, OK, oh, that's inspiring right now. I'll write that. Good it keeps plan. me on my toes, keeps me writing. Even if yeah. it's terrible, it keeps me writing, which is always part of the craft, you know?
2: Yep, yep. No, no, great plan, great plan. And obviously I finished Daughters and I finished Revelatory. So right. I too am going to make some good headway on an outline for my my new screenplay which you and I talked about very hush-hush under the radar. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. you know, you can attest to the fact that it's pretty Darn. Cool. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I definitely told everyone I know about it. <laughs> okay, yeah.
2: Figured as much. No, I figured I as much. I can't trust I you for no anything. One. That's this with these guest hosts. You can't trust them for, for anything.
0: I'm just, my goal is to get 86 from the show. <laughs> oh my
2: God. You're doing a good job so far. I mean, we're halfway through the second season, so you just have to eke out a few more episodes. This is, uh, you know, and we're on episode 35 of our we entire are. show life. So I, I give us a round of applause for that. I wish Ariel could be here to celebrate with a glass of wine, but Ariel, Mm-hmm. has still decided to um you know do her own thing which is She's we totally got
0: stuff going on man She's We know i
2: know i'm just greasing waiting. the
0: wheels you know? I know gotta ride that momentum
2: i know i know and you're second best katie so i appreciate you. you hanging in there
0: well so tell me will you be working on any like supplemental stuff for daughters while you're on this break mm-hmm
2: hmm. Yeah, definitely. We, we actually we've already started working on some supplementary stuff. And I think when you say supplementary stuff, you mean like a companion creative deck, right? Or like a lookbook yeah. or what the, whatever they call that yeah, playlist,
0: a CD, play, mixtape,
2: all cool stuff. You know, it's really funny you say that. I, I'm a big <laughs> proponent of doing something supplementary to stand out. And I know a lot of people say, oh, don't do it. Because what if someone's like, oh, it's, how dare this writer do a play, you know, playlist or do a mixtape? of of the songs they want to accompany because all that's going to go out in legal and all that, yada, 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 yada. whatever. I'm in the mode of my screenwriting career where I want to think outside the box, totally outside the box. So for Daughters, I am indeed making a creative deck, Um, just did some new art, which I posted recently. Maybe I'll post it on our um, social page so you could see like the title page of what the art's going to look like but oh yeah really cool. i
0: know you recently shared the poster and that yes. looks beautiful yeah so. it's the
2: poster it's the poster and my co-writer aaron mclean uh, actually did that poster he did a really great job he's a props sfx him, guy yeah. yeah props to aaron so i'll share that okay. along you can see what that looks like but that's going to be the cover of the deck and it's really going to give everybody a sense it's like when you used to go to the video store right and look in the shelves and you used to see the cover art of the horror movie and used to just rent the horror movie just because the cover art was so awesome it's it's kind of like that thing they're going to see the deck they're going to see the art and then they're going to read on and then what we're thinking of doing is doing a page on you know what characters are in the the screenplay what the character names are who we envision playing those characters a little bit about them a little bit about the plot so it's like a visual companion to the screenplay
0: yeah I, i love that idea i personally just send glitter bombs Mm. Um, I think and that glitter, really bombs well. <laughs> glitter bombs work as well
2: Glitter bombs work as well But you know I, I don't It could You could have mixed reaction With the glitter bomb You know I think yeah, like I Although it does, calls, so. it does make an impression It does make an impression Yeah <laughs> It, you know, it would be even better if the if the screenplay was like someone who would send poisonous glitter bombs to people, and like they're like, oh, look at this glitter bomb, it's so cool. And then they go in the bathtub, and it's like actually battery acid, and just melts their skin. It's like the glitter bomb killer.
0: There is an episode of I Zombie where there's like a there's a glitter or a a, a card that uh, it does peanut dust, and the guy dies from anaphylactic shock. Shut the front door. Um, yes.
2: Omg, that sounds incredible. So it's, is this, this exists. I can watch this somewhere, stream this somewhere. Yeah,
0: it's on Netflix. iZombie is on Netflix.
2: Fantastic. Are you I've not never familiar heard with iZombie? Am I, am I a little out of the loop that I don't know about I, iZombie? Well, I don't know
0: how big it was, but I, I watched it when it aired. and um, but Like if, all, if, iCarly?
2: If, any connection? No,
0: okay, no. It's absolutely a, different. A girl who, you know, wakes up and she suddenly has to live her life as a zombie and uh, it's yeah. all upturned and she works in a police morgue and when you eat brains, it gives you vision. So she has to pretend like she's psychic to help with cases is mm, okay anyway tangent
2: total tangent but yeah i i like the idea of doing a lookbook creative deck something like that have you something done anything practical. yeah <laughs> something practical and and again i do also like the idea of the cd i because i used to be a reader and i've said this i think in on the show a couple times. I used to be a reader out in Universal uh, for Mark Platt Productions. And I used to just be that executive assistant that would read all the screenplays, do coverage, send it to them, all that jazz. Cool screenplays came across my desk during that time of now, or which made into movies. The first one was 500 Days of Summer. That screenplay actually came with a CD and mm-hmm. Stranger Than Fiction came with a CD as well. The Will Ferrell movie where he hears the Uh, you know, psychiatrist voice in his head. But both of those came with CDs, super fun. They were the talk of the town back then because like the soundtrack was awesome and it really went well with the actual screenplay itself and they Mm -hmm. mirrored each other. And then they ended up being the soundtracks for both movies, so... Go figure. Yeah.
0: See, and I, I love the idea of including um, a CD or some kind of musical component because I know we've talked pre- in previous episodes how um, closely music and um, story and are connected. And mm, so close. It, so it's n- like not even within a necessity of being like this is the s- soundtrack I envision for the movie, but really just the vibes, mm-hmm. creating the mood to set when someone is reading your screenplay can just open that door of. Um, you know, uh, acceptance and really yep. resonation with the the feel and tone of the story. So I'm a fan of creating a playlist and not, yeah, like I said, not with the intention of being the soundtrack. If some of the songs wind up in there, that's cool. But I don't have any. I'm not I'm never married to the songs. It's just, you're going to get the right vibe from this. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. I'm going to do it for for daughters. I'm going to do it for the next after that. Um, probably go back and do one for Revelatory, do one for Soul Passage. Um, I just want decks for everything. So then that way, you know, instead of sending some dry, stodgy plot synopsis or one pager, you send the deck and be like, look, this is, has a little more zhuzh, a
0: little, little of this, a little of that, you know? Apple. I think Dex too. They have the benefit of really giving a a, a great snapshot. Um, Which I know for a lot of, like, when you're looking for what to produce, it's going to be about the marketability. Mm -hmm. And if you, when you see the overall snapshot without even having to read, you know, the first 10 pages, that rule, um, you have, oh, like, this is actually a screenplay that I want to read. Right. And it gives that preparation. I know in the past, it was usually you write, like, the treatment pages, like, three to five page roundup of the characters and the logline and the synopsis. And that's your... of snapshot but now the the decks are just more approachable they can be more fun they can give more character to the characters (laughs) character to the characters yes yeah that is important (laughs) character to the overall story there Uh we go
2: no it's great Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's a great idea i'm going to do it and i um you know in this new one super jazzed about it it's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's a little more involved and it, it's going to mm-hmm. take a lot more work just because of the subject matter and how it unfolds. It's, it's a, it's going to take a little more of the noggin, the old noggin, a little more research mm-hmm. about Cause it, it is a period horror, uh, movie, which yeah. don't exist m- much unless you're talking about like Jack the Ripper or going back in time or know?
0: like an adaptation, like little women.
2: Yes. Like little women. I can't say it's a world war II drama horror movie. hmm I have to say,
0: I I really enjoy period horror. Like, I would love to see more westerns, western horror. Just in general, taking us to a different time, a different place. I really enjoy that.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. That's why I wanted to do this, and I think also enjoy period horror that reflects the horror of the period itself in the themes of the actual narrative. So this particular one that I'm writing next with Aaron as well, it has a horror element, a very large horror element of the time and place of the period that's also connected to uh, the fictitious horror that's happening within the narrative. So I'm really excited about that as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, without giving too much
2: away. Without giving too much away, I'm skirting (laughs) around the the Mm. reality of it. Anyway, we actually have a screenwriter on today that was actually referred to us um, by a guest in season one, uh, and she actually collaborated with a guest in season one on a screenplay that she wrote, and the guest from season number one actually produced her screenplay that's going to be a movie next year. Is that, how's that for, oh my God, I'm like winded. (laughs) winded. Well, it was like a six degrees. Anyway, our guest today is Leanne Kerr. Leanne is a screenwriter and director, she comes from a classical acting background, having studied and performed with the London Dramatic Academy, the American Shakespeare Center, the Harrisburg Shakespeare Festival, and the Shakespeare Theatre of New Jersey. That's a lot of Shakespeare. Her work is female forward with intentionally diverse character ensembles using genre and elements of the classics to heighten a coming of age narrative. Her feature script, Persephone, a reimagining of the Greek myth, was a 2019 Academy Nickel Fellowship semi-finalist. She previously directed the music video for Lindsay Luff's single, Remind Me, as well as the short film, Hammer, I mean, I'm gonna butcher this, Hammurabi, It's either Hammurabi or, I think it's Hammurabi, which she also wrote, produced, and edited. Student Body, Student Body, which she wrote, directed, and co-produced, is her debut feature film, and we also had Sandra Leviton on the show, season one, episode 23, check it out, who produced this film. The film is represented by MPX Films and distributed by 1091 Pictures. Leanne lives in sunny Burbank with her husband and her plants. Welcome to the show, Leanne.
1: Thank you so much, Patrick and Katie. I'm super excited to be here.
2: You were recommended for the show by one of our season one guests, Miss Sandra Leviton. So Ah, yes, you came (laughs) highly recommended.
1: Well, Sandra's wonderful. So take that as a compliment. (laughs) She is
2: fantastic. Sandra was on episode, I think, 23 three last season season one so like every single season we should have like a uh, what's this six degrees of Sandra Leviton separation and just have <laughs> a new Sandra Leviton so we can see who we can like get from Sandra Leviton's universe and every time.
1: Her universe is pretty wide, so I feel like you would benefit from that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome. We're just going to get right into the question here because we know your time is precious and uh, everybody's busy, busy, busy. So uh, holidays and all that stuff going on. You come from quite the extensive classical acting background, and we've yet to really have a writer who really does the acting thing too so far in any episode we've done. So talk to us about how your experience is as an actor inspired and maybe helped with your craft as a screenwriter?
1: That's a great question, and I'm so excited to answer. So I do come from a classical stage background. I was trained as a classical actor in undergrad, and basically my initial career path was to become a regional Shakespeare classical actor. That was my initial dream. Um, was to you know do company work around the country, um, and it eventually ended up being that I enjoyed playwriting when I went to undergrad at the end of the day, more than performing and that I wanted to work with actors. Once I entered the real world in New York and in the off-off Broadway scene, I found that I really enjoyed that more. So playwriting then became screenwriting as I discovered that the medium of film was actually the best medium for what I was trying to express. So I guess what I would say is like a takeaway from that transition is I think there is kind of this idea of the Hollywood wonder or this person just wakes up like Paul Thomas Anderson style and is like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And they're like five years old. And that's super great. And I love that kind of story. But I think something I my younger self would have wanted to hear that I'd like to impart now is that that's not necessarily the way things need to go. And I love that I come from that background and that world because it does inform my art as a writer and director. And I'm grateful that I have that as opposed to, you know, the path where you go to film school and you study film and you're film all the time. Again, a great path to have, but for me, um, it enriches everything that I do. So I'm glad that, you know, I had a bit of a scary career transition when I realized I wanted to change the sort of medium of expression and what I wanted to do, but um, really loved drawing upon that throughout my work. So with your background, as an actor,
0: and like being having read many scripts and plays as well, is there anything that you hate or stay away from, or <laughs> even just advice that you could give writers listening that you wish writers could do to impart more of that character, bringing the character to life for their actors?
1: That's a great question as well. I think something I strive to do as a writer that I take from my time as an actor is to really lean on the actors to impart subtext. And I think sometimes we as writers really want everyone to to know exactly what we're thinking exactly what we want to express but I think like letting character be shown through action and behavior as opposed through dialogue can be really effective so sometimes I'll do passes of my scripts where I'm just looking at the dialogue and looking at what they're saying and wondering if there are ways through which the behavior in the scene and the subtext of what they're saying can tell more than just I'm sad because dad died last year like just you know know, things like that, where I'll see it in films, what's like, remember when dad died, and it's just like, no, please, Um, you can let the actors convey those things and have that sense of mystery about what's going on in their interior life, that can be so much more interesting than that, that kind of dialogue can be just really um, tough. And also, it's more fun for the actors, I think, if they can play around with their actions and behaviors and subtext,
2: you would say that um, your experience as an actor, is absolutely critical to maybe enhancing your successes as a screenwriter. Because, like, not everyone gets that opportunity to know what it feels like to be on stage or to be in front of a camera and be able to, like, deliver lines, read lines. I mean, as an actor, you're reading tons of scripts you're You're right. inherently reading tons of scripts. You're dissecting the scripts and making those into something that's your own to make that character come to life. So I'm guessing you would say that it's it was an indispensable opportunity to be able to have that experience first before doing the screenwriting
1: thing. Absolutely. And even if acting is not something that a screenwriter comes from or comes naturally, I would actually recommend, if you're able and willing, um, to perhaps try an acting class as a writer so that you can get a sense of what that is on the other side of things. And then also as a writer, I do like to think about my small characters in my scripts. Like what's that actor that's going to come in as a day player and just come in for one day, just for maybe one scene? You know, we had we had that with my film Student Body, where we had um Two actors in particular who really just were day players and had these small scenes, but they were pivotal scenes and important moments in the story. So I also just love thinking as a writer, what's that on the page that even for just like a couple lines for a character or something that might not be someone that has 80% of the presence on screen, what can that be that's still gonna be rich and in detail and still gonna be something that that day player can really sink their teeth into and find that character? Because I think we all can think of films where There's that small scene or that small bit. The thing that immediately comes to mind is the coin flipping scene in no country for old men like that one, that older gentleman like who is so specific and wonderful and who just has this one interaction with Javier Bardem's character. And we never see him again. But I just love those little moments that we kind of drop in with some people. And then, you know, they're not part of the whole film. But I do like thinking about that and also like thinking about the actors who are going to be coming in and playing them because actors are humans too and they're lovely humans who deserve to have wonderful material so shakespearean there's no small parts only small actors it's so true i mean when the guy comes in and or woman if you cast it that way and says tells macbeth that his wife is dead and then he launches into the one of most famous you know tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speeches i love thinking about that actor that comes in like the queen my lord is dead That's all that that actor has to say. But what an amazing dramatic moment. So I love thinking about that as well. It's a good point that you brought up.
2: And speaking of Shakespeare, I mean, you're classically trained. There are connections, but like, where do you think those connections intersect with classical, you know, writing from Shakespeare and horror? I mean, the roots Mm. of horror, right? Mm -hmm. The roots of horror writing are all there. It's just, it's just come so far what is your take on that
1: I love these questions so I think um, Jordan Peele said at one point that both comedy and horror are rhythmic in nature that they have a music and a pace to them both genres and I think that one thing you learn from studying Shakespeare and watching it and reading it is the rhythm is the iambic pentameter the meter and even the prose that he uses and how rhythm and rhetoric can inform the pace of a scene um, the cadence of a scene between characters even within a monologue. And so just taking that to the horror genre, it was something that I constantly thought about with my film student body is the rhythm of the film, the pacing, how does it move? How does the dialogue move? Um, And then, of course, as a film, how does sound design and the score interact with that? So I feel like I really love, again, coming from that more classical background because the metering of the plays, of the way that he writes in blank verse, and a lot of times is so rhythmic in nature, is so musical. And it's something, again, another thing I thought of was, I was watching a bit on how Greta Gerwig made Little Women, you know, of course she wrote that as well, and how she would often close her eyes during takes on set to listen to her script and listen to her lines, and how sometimes she would know if she got the take just from listening, she wouldn't even really watch and she could tell if it landed if she heard you know those words that she put on the page in the way that she had envisioned and i think i didn't go that far in my first film to close my eyes on set but um i do like really appreciate that impetus and i think there might be a point where i would do that as well of thinking of the musicality of your dialogue and the musicality of the interactions between your characters a big uh, thing for me.
2: Yeah and we've spoken about that in a couple episodes uh, previous episodes about the musicality of screenplays from the perspective of actually a composer, someone who's actually composed the music for the uh, screenplay they've wrote and for the film that they've made and it's so interesting to think of the musicality, think of the classically trained situation where you've got Shakespeare and all of that uh, all coming together. Now you've talked a lot about student body we want to learn a little bit more about student body. We've talked about about it from Sandra's perspective, but now is our chance to get mm-hmm. your perspective on the experience from the role of the screenwriter herself. Sure. Talk about the road that the screenplay took from the beginning. Start start at the yeah. start at the very beginning and tell us how you went from page to screen.
1: Oh, so great. Love talking about it. From the beginning, the idea really morphed. I really loved at first the jumping off point was a group of college or after college kids who return for their high school reunion and how the person they bullied kind of comes to get them. That is not what the end up film ended up being but I because I think something I learned when trying that approach was for me what I wanted to do was very present tense especially with a thriller suspenseful film the idea of using flashbacks or some of those things where people are talking about the past it didn't seem to jive with that sort of immediacy of like this is happening right now so I took it I took them away from like, oh, they're 25 and I I moved them to 10 years younger. okay now they're you know 16, 15 years old. And I still wanted to talk about bullying and things that make high school scary, regardless of the genre elements. So something I was saying to a friend of mine the other day is I like thinking of like horror film, horror scripts, like horror writing, is that. You already have the spices in the pot simmering. And then I like to think of the genre elements or the monster as kind of the burner. Like you turn the burner on, but like everything's in the pot already. So I wanted to explore anxieties and fears that young people have going to high school that, ex- that would be existent in the story and then letting those genre elements kind of heighten everything. So to get back to your question a little better, I had this other idea, changed it to high school. I love writing coming of age stories and then just really loved building this ensemble. I think the idea at the very onset was to create a John Hughesian kind of breakfast club, but for this generation. Love John Hughes, but obviously he was a product of his time. So I wanted to kind of take that vibe and make it more friendly for 2021, 2022, and use kind of that like Brat Pack ensemble of kids who are kind of idiots, but also amazing and funny and wonderful, but also idiots. And then kind of combine that with elements of like a Hitchcockian thriller and suspense and just those like slasher tropes that we know and love, but using them to talk about, I think, really extant issues that kids are dealing with today and especially young women, what it is to be a young woman and how scary that can be. So I think from the once I reach that positioning, um, that's really you know, stayed true throughout the whole filmmaking process and the screenwriting process of creating this really vivid group of characters that people could really feel emotionally attached to and to really get behind the relationships. And I think that's something I would say as a writer is I just find that Character and relationships is such the bedrock of what I love to build off of. And, you know, there are plenty of wonderful films which are, you know, more intent on exploring theme or place. And I value that. I think it was so important to me that I heard so deeply about these kids that they weren't just like teen fodder to just sort of put into the slasher yeah, engine I, and to have the horror elements really make us afraid for them and worry for them. I love that because I can think of so many, like, horror high,
0: terror train, prom night that have that kind of same basic premise. But you're right, like every everyone in that becomes the fodder for the slasher machine. At being able to elevate that and have you really care about the relationships, we see that a lot more in modern times. So um, in taking something that is familiar, but then modernizing it, giving your unique take on it, I, like, I'm excited to see it.
1: Yes. Well, thank you. And I think um, that's something I really held on to in the process was I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. I wasn't trying to be super clever and like, I'm going to do this horror thing that no one's done before. Like, it'll be like a vampire and a werewolf in one person. and It'll be so original. Um, I think originality sometimes is a little overrated. Like I'd rather see a film or a screenplay when reading other people's scripts, I'd rather see something that is so specific in its voice and so interesting and nuanced in what it's dealing with than see the writer try to be super clever about being super original. Because I feel like when you go down that road, it can be a Bit bumpy because you might be forsaking things that are actually more important to us in story than having something that they've never seen before. So I like making sure that at the end of the day, even if every element of the script isn't like the most shiny new right out of the car lot, I'm writing in a way that's very specific to my voice. And that is really heartfeltly dealing with themes and issues that I feel are important to talk about.
2: Just curious, did you read a lot of young adult horror when you were younger, like the Goosebumps series and the Fear Street <laughs> stuff. And were you inspired by any of that stuff? Because this is obviously a very young adult horror movie, which isn't done often. I mean, when it's done, it's copy, not copying, but it's it's embodying uh, something that's been famous back in the day. So like House of the Clock and its Walls, Goosebumps, right. like I said, Fear Street, it, it always is a spin off of one of those classic things. But this is something totally fresh and unique. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I did love Goosebumps. Um, I lost sleep many times. I'm actually a total scaredy cat. (laughs) So it's odd to make a horror film because I'm afraid of a lot of things, including horror movies. But I read a lot of Agatha Christie as a young girl, was just very obsessed with her and just how genius she is at creating character and also creating stories that go into just such surprising ways. And I think... Also, I was a total Hitchcock nerd growing up, so I think instead of, you know, directly relying on that nostalgia of, like, the Goosebumps world, although I did love Goosebumps, I think I was obsessed with certain things like John Hughes movies, like Hitchcock films, like Agatha Christie, and was interested in a synthesis of those things. I was watching a bit about the Mandalorian and Jon Favreau was saying a similar thing where it's, you know, it's, what are the sources of where this is coming from, you know, instead of trying to make it like another star Wars thing, you know, it's coming from Kurosawa it's coming from spaghetti Westerns it's coming from. So like, what are some things from the source that I can draw upon as opposed to trying To make my own goosebumps or make my own Fear Street, if that makes any sense.
2: It makes perfect sense, and it's also something I—it's completely admirable. I mean, I'm so glad that you answered the question in that way because (laughs) it's the perfect way to answer the question. Because you are truly, in that sense, making someone something fresh and unique. And obviously, they say imitation is the best form of flattery, um, which is sort of true in any sense. But like, you're not inspired by like the young adult world, right? You're, you're truly taking something from something bigger, from something more inspired. And I think that's wonderful. How did you end up getting linked up with Sandra? And how did you get this thing made? You've written the screenplay. You get to where a lot of writers that are striving to be screw screenwriters, our screenwriters have gotten and it's finished, how did you get to that next level?
1: So I was lucky in the sense that I was up and coming in New York. I had been working in production for a number of years as a script supervisor. So I had uh, basically been getting my, instead of going to graduate school, which I couldn't afford, I worked as a script supervisor for three years. And through a women in film networking group called The Filmmaker Hers, I was able to connect with another producer who then connected me to Sandra, and I found um, two producers, so Sandra and then Rachel Liu, who's also super wonderful. And it really was a great match. I think finding producers as a screenwriter, you know, finding producers that are really looking to make the kind of thing that you're pa- like that you're passionate about, that love your script and your vision for what it is, that aren't trying to make it into something different. Like from the onset, Student Body is a very character-driven film. It doesn't follow, I think, although I love Blumhouse, it doesn't follow that more Blumhouse model of like a kill in the first five minutes and like you're off to the races like it really is a slower burn where you're getting to know these characters you're getting to know who they are and who they are to each other and then the genre elements are again that burner under the pot so I really love that with Sandra and Rachel they were completely on board for making that character driven film and they weren't like oh let's add some kills just because I don't know execs would Wanted. You know they really were on board for my vision, and also the things I was talking about. I mean, I I was bullied in middle school, and I had went through some similar things that my protagonist um, goes through in the film in terms of her peers and social anxiety and feeling not good enough and feeling like you know, you don't know where you stand with your friends. It's all very scary. So I was drawing upon very personal things. And it was so valuable to find producers who were interested in talking about those issues as well as such as self-esteem and, you know, a sense of self for young women and how difficult that can be. So, yeah, I was lucky to find them through networking in New York. And again, um, I would just say for young writers, if you have that project that you're passionate about and you want to get made um, it's just great to have a creative team who from the onset are on board with what you're trying to accomplish and are there to facilitate that vision as opposed to, Oh, that'd be really like if you get someone on board and is like, oh, that's really cool, but I need like more nudity, just lots more nudity. Like, you know, something where it's like, okay, you're going to have people who are going to try to change it anyways. So having your core team really believe in what you're trying to accomplish is so essential.
2: When you say find Sandra, talk a little bit about, because we had a conversation with her about the crazy things and scary things that people have done to get their scripts read. What did that conversation look like? Was it, were Mm -hmm. you around the water cooler and you were like, hey, by the way, I got a script for you to read. How you doing? You know, like, (laughs) or what was it that actually got that out that you actually had written something in a way that it was, it didn't feel like creepy like oh yeah
1: oh yeah oh well it's such an ask too where you're like can you read my script right right oh by the way oh (laughs) just what are you working on oh you know
2: i'm working on this thing called a student body you know i'm just it's really cool but uh hey and then you're like thinking in the back of your head oh i hope she asked me to she has to read it
1: totally and also you want to be like that person's like no really but my script is good like i know your mailman (laughs) said that their script is good but like (laughs) mine's actually good and then you feel a little frantic because you're like please (laughs) believe me i'm
2: Um, the one you've been looking for i promise you
1: And then you're like, wait, I sound even less legitimate because I'm freaking out. Anyways, I think it was natural because I actually didn't solicit her personally. So I knew Rachel and really respected her work. And then she was aware of Sandra through her network. And she actually passed the script on to Sandra in my name, which I know is like trickier than doing hitting the payment and doing it yourself because you're relying on someone else to believe in it but i think that did legitimize sandra taking the time to look at it because it was coming from a trusted person who's also producing and what i did was i had I was also planning on directing. So, you know, something you could do as a writer or if you're a writer, director, or if however you please. But it did help me. I did have a lookbook, a very professionally made lookbook that also what I love to do as a writer, I create a playlist for every script that I write. And it also really helps me when I rewrite because if I haven't looked at material in months, I turn on that, that playlist and I get right back in that headspace. So I had this playlist for student body that I sent to Sandra as well. And she actually tweet. I back when I was like checking Twitter, she actually tweeted about it because she. I think it really um, impressed her that there was an extra sort of something to help her get into the mindset of the script. So she said she listened to the whole playlist while she was reading and she was getting the sense of the whole vibe. And I think that that was um, really great. So, you know, I would just say if you're able to get your material passed on through another party that could be trusted by that producer, if you're able to do that, that was helpful for me. And then also to create other literature that could perhaps supplement the script to give that vibe of what you're trying to do. But then also just to make sure that when you do pass on that script, perhaps obvious advice, but really do make sure that the script is in excellent shape and it really is tight and it's conveying what you want.
2: And I love that idea that you were saying, or not idea, but the thing you do and make that look book. I've heard that a lot lately. Someone posted one of the screenwriting Mm -hmm. groups and they said, you know, don't even write a script, just write a lookbook and then pitch that because then maybe you'll get your idea across and then maybe you're interested and then write the script. So it just kind of stresses the importance of a lookbook. Can you explain to our listeners what a lookbook is and how you approach creating one and and why you feel it's so important to do?
1: Yes. I mean, I feel... Personally, and I could be off base, um, that it was more important as a writer-director. I would caution, like, if you're a writer, don't forego the importance of just how great it is to have a great script, to have actual material that really is great. So I don't know if I would give that advice if you're just a writer to just like make lookbooks, because I think, you know, ultimately people are hiring you or bringing you on a project on the basis of your ability to write. So I would say make sure your material is strong, number one. But if you are leaning more writer-director or you do want to have kind of that more visual supplement, um, I yeah, I had it sort of professionally made. I'm lucky in that my husband's a professional graphic designer, so I did have him draw that up. But if you're able to find someone who is an illustrator graphic designer and get it professionally done, I mean, it really elevates the whole thing. So I had, you know, the title slide with sort of a mock-up of the, like what the logo of this, the name of the film would be. And it was kind of in like a, like drive that film drive. It kind of had that kind of vibe of like the script, um, the title. And then I had, you know, a little, I'm trying to remember the exact ordering, but it was basically a statement of who I am, but also just a log line, you know, it's 90 minutes, it's horror. And then I did little, each slide I had was a kind of overview of each character so again for me the focus was i wanted people to buy in on this group of kids and feel like they knew who they were and they cared really deeply because again we've seen you know the group of teens getting slashed before so for me it was like People need to like feel like they know who these kids are and feel so grounded in their relationships. Each slide was like for Jane, the main character. I had kind of what I've heard referred to as character phenotypes. So other characters that exist that are kind of tangential and in, and kind of in the same world as the character that you're writing. So for example, you know, I, know I, I don't put actors that I want to play the role yet because I don't want to peg down, oh, this character needs to be be white or like this character needs to be, you know, this kind of looking person. I really wanted a diverse um, ensemble, which we ended up getting, which was amazing. So instead of actors being like, oh, I'd love Zendaya to play this role, I had, oh, like it's kind of like this character. She's kind of like antagonist. I had Regina George on there. You know, I had things that you could recognize and be like, oh, I get the sense of who this character is. So I had the character phenotypes. And then I also had for each slide, like a key quote from the script that the character says that I felt really encapsulated who that person was. So one of Merit, she's Jane, the main character's ex-best friend, and she's kind of more of a Regina George type. She kind of has a couple zingers. And so I Put one of the main zingers on her slide to get people to be like, oh, that's who this person is. So it was a combination of like, emphasizing judiciously bits of the script, but having kind of those visuals that can immediately give the person the sense of what this character is about and what they're like. I always love thinking of locations where this could be shot. And I think as writers, it's important to be thinking about the spaces in which this, our stories take place. So I had slides of like possible locations and interiors and had a whole thing about that and then I had you know a slide that actually had the link to the playlist and had like the album covers for the playlist to show the kind of music and bands that were in the world of the story so yeah it was kind of a smattering of different things that were just meant to build vibes you know like I wanted someone who opened it to be like oh vibes like I get what this is
2: do you think when a, a manager or an agent or a producer asks for your screenplay as a writer and you're not directing it or, or maybe you want to direct it, uh, it it's an option it's on the table do you think that when they ask for a request for your screenplay to read it you should send that on as a companion to that do you think that there's any harm in doing that mm-hmm. to, to you know if they ask for mm-hmm. the screenplay it's just a little abbreviation it's kind of like a deck right so yeah, deck. I mean I can't personally see the Harmon I actually think it's kind of cool. If I were I am a producer in real life, but like if I were a producer looking for scripts and waiting for something to come in and I'm interested in a concept, I would think it's pretty cool to open that up and have it as a little companion to visually represent your characters and your story.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I don't want to speak for all managers and all producers because you know I don't want to send someone down the wrong path if someone's sure. not into this. Um I I would maybe ask, like, if it's just like, oh, could I see that? And then maybe like, oh, cool, like, happy to send it over, you know, especially if you're like, oh, like, I'm still tweaking, I'll send to you soon. You could also maybe add, like, do you want to see my lookbook? And then they could, you know, either accept or decline. I tend to never send material that hasn't been asked for. I tend to never send unsolicited material. I really tend to send when it's solicited um just because i do and this might be just my personal qualms but i do want to avoid being like and then this chick sent me like all this stuff and i was like i just wanted to (laughs) see your script you know i don't i tend to want to avoid that but i certainly think there's no harm if you just want to go ahead and do it i just personally would probably probably ask and be like i also have this thing cool. And then they'll probably say yes.
0: <laughs> so, and that something we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, and we've heard from a lot of, uh, writers is the need for, to have that backlog and catalog, like not just look books and those kind of spice pieces, but the, okay, this is great. What else you got, you know, mm. be able to, show something when they ask you that. Don't just have the one screenplay. Overall, how many screenplays have you written before you hit it with student body? And what was the
1: career like before (laughs) that?
2: Yeah, what else you got?
1: (laughs) Uh I want to say it. I want
2: to be the one to say it now. Come on. What else you got?
1: I got plenty now. Thank you, pandemic. Um, I mean, Uh don't I don't thank you. But also there was time. Honestly, I had written four other scripts before I had written Student Body and they were not very good. So I just also want to like, you know, for writers, like it might take I mean, it's a whole skill set writing, writing a screenplay. It's very different even from playwriting. So I just basically wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote some really crappy scripts that I'm really glad no one's ever going to read and then I reached student body and I was like yeah okay this is the thing I think this is the thing I want to make and want to put out there and I was fortunate that it did end up coming together and then since then um ever since post-production on this I wrote a couple specs and a couple pitches and I just have now a library of pitches and specs ready to go for the next project so that's what I'm in you know involved in now is getting the next thing off so that when your film does come out or you you do get hired on one thing, you already have that next round of things ready to go, which I do agree is important.
2: In your toolkit, we talked about the lookbook, we talked about the actual screenplay, obviously that's the most important thing. What else in the toolkit? Like wh- before you even send your things out there, uh, you mm-hmm. know, what's what's in your arsenal? What your self-preparedness is, you know, what you have to be ready with. You mentioned like your pitch, your one-liner. Are you, mm-hmm. are you doing like, do you, you want to have like an outline ready? Do you want to have like a one-pager synopsis? Do you want to have a pitch ready?
1: I think it depends on the project, it depends on who I'm pitching to, it depends on what I want the end goal to be. So for some places that I've been pitching to, I know they have the budget for development, so I'm not going to write a spec, because I know that that's not what the purpose of that meeting is. But for other places, if it's going to be you know bootstrapping it and getting another second feature made, and it's you know hopefully a bigger budget than the first but then it's like that might be an opportunity where from going to financiers which I'll you know will be part of the process they might want to see a fully fledged script um and then for other things if it's a tv show i'm pitching i'm pitching to some people right now for television that's a fully fled that's a lookbook that's a deck that's you know also just a lot of legwork in terms of having that pitch ready to go. So I think it's good to keep in mind who you're pitching to, what their resources are like, what you think kind of the end goal would be. Are you trying to get hired onto a writer's room? Are you doing an open writer's assignment and you wanna do a take on a bigger thing? Or is this something where you know in your heart and soul that this is the story you're meant to tell and you need people to read this script? In which case, write the spec. You know, have that ready to go. But, you know, again, it just depends on... um, So it just depends on what you're looking to do and who you're going out to. You know, at a certain point, a lot of times you're you're working pro bono. You're doing these things for free. You're trying to get hired. You're trying to get paid. You're trying to be a professional. So I think honoring your time and honoring... Being realistic about what's a good use of your time? Is it a great use of your time to really write this spec and make it amazing? And is that going to be a great choice? Because it could be. Or is it a much better use of your time to write that outline and have that verbal pitch ready to go and know that they're going to have the resources to do development with you if they like the project and they might not take a fully fledged spec? Because some of these people, these executives, they want their hands on the project at the very inception. So they want to be taking you notes and developing and changing the story and molding it because that's their development executives. So it might be advantageous for certain people to not have that fully fledged, this is what it is and deal with it. Because then they're like, cool, I have no creative con- like hand in this. This isn't for me.
2: Most of our listeners are up and coming screenwriters, I think. We-, we do have some great established screenwriters. It's surprising to me uh, who listens to this the show because we we have like random people I'm like hey you know you want to be on the show they're like oh yeah we've heard screenwriters and they're (laughs) like oh yeah we'll come on the show we love it people I don't even they would not imagine a million years but a lot of our listeners are up-and-coming screenwriters so my question is what is the best use of their time What is the Mm -hmm. best use of, because I would consider myself as well an up-and-coming screenwriter because A, you know, I've written a lot of screenplays, uh, placed in a lot of festivals, but I haven't had a working screenwriting job yet on a feature or series or, you know, and I don't have a manager, I'm not represented. So what is the best use of someone like their time, someone up-and-coming's time? Is it writing specs? after spec, after spec, after spec? Or is it mixture? of Is it writing, you know, specs and writing pitches of ideas? What is it? Is it a balance or is it like, in your opinion?
1: That's a great question. And I would say that I would encourage the writer to really think about where he or she wants to be. Do you want to be in a room? Do you want to be in comedy? Do you want to be perhaps, hopefully, on a limited series? You know, did you just go? cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over like a Chernobyl or something like that? Or are you really looking to be in the feature space? So I think that can really clarifying where you want to go with your writing can really help clarify where your time should be spent. So although now I am pitching to TV networks and doing, you know, looking into possibly hopping in a room, I started out at the very beginning when I was, you know, before I had gotten student body. And I knew I wanted to do features. And I knew that I wanted to start with independent film and really like make a film happen. For me at the time, it made the most sense to write a spec script. I want everyone to write the scripts burning in their soul to write. But I also wanted to be really realistic about what could be made. And it was, okay, this would be probably a sub-million dollar budget and a genre piece. I love genre, so I was into it. So it was also what I wanted to write. But I also wanted to make sure it was something that was producible. And I, you know, I also, I want to temper that a bit because I don't want people to then be like, oh, I really wanted to write this one story, but I heard on this podcast that it needs to be producible. I'm not saying, you know, inhibit your creativity or cut out that one scene in space because you know it won't fit into the budget no but i am saying that knowing the kind of space you want your work to be in can help make some judicious decisions about where to spend your time and what kind of work you want to create so again for me it was okay i'm gonna write this killer literally and metaphorically script that hopefully will get produced and made on an independent budget. And then from there, like, I can see maybe if I'll be hired for a bigger budget feature film or pop into a room. And that's so far how it's gone. But if you're coming to this and you're like, I want to be in the room for the next Good Place or I want to be in the room with the next Shonda Rhimes show, then that's a different path. That's a different thing to change your, you know, change what you're doing in terms of, you know, write that spec of that awesome TV, like, you know, the TV show you'd always love to, make, but writing like 10 specs of 10 different TV shows, you really just want a, I would say overall, no matter which path you're choosing, just make sure you have a sample that you can put your name behind a tangible piece of writing, whether it's a pilot or a feature that you can have ready to go and just be like, yes, this is my voice. This is what I want to do. And this is representative of the path that I want to take, and the work I want to be hired to do.
2: This is not a trick question, but if student body did not get Mm. produced, so if you did not meet up with Sandra and, you know, the team and have this wonderful, glorious experience, which, you know, was, I wouldn't say luck at all because you make your own luck, but it was situational. It was something that came together in the heavens and the stars, and you got that recommendation, and this happened if that didn't happen and student body was just sitting on a shelf right now and that's a scary mm. thought because <laughs> you know it is a little bit of a scary thought what would your next step have been do you think
1: Oh, that's a great question I think I just really knew that I wanted to be a writer director so I think I just would have if that spec script didn't make it and that wasn't you know the thing that caught someone's eye I would probably have written another spec <laughs> um okay good really, a- good answer that's what, I, that's I was that's what yeah. i'm looking for
2: is like oh what what is you what would you have uh, done next and that that is interesting you would have written another spec
1: probably um I really was gunning to make a film and to have have it be my material and then have me working with the actors and directing. So I think I just would have tried again. (laughs) Um, And just honestly, honestly, it was just so helpful. I know networking can have such like a scuzzy connotation, but I think if you have just a genuine interest in meeting people and You know, expanding your network and it comes from like a very as opposed to like, what can I get out of you instead of, oh, is there an opening for maybe us to grow together as artists? Is there an opening here for us to learn from each other? And then maybe from that, something can come if you're coming at it from that genuine place. I think like networking and meeting more people and putting yourself out there. You just never know who's going to know who and where it could link up. Because for me, with Rachel, with my first producer on board, she heard through another producer that I wanted to make this like coming of age, young adult, teen thriller. And that's what she wanted to make, too. So I think it was kind of like the... Yelping to the universe and being very open about like, I'm an aspiring writer director, I will have this script student body, and this is what I want to make. Just being really loud about it, because <laughs> not obnoxiously loud, not that person at the party that's like, oh, I'm a screenwriter, but being very open um about that's what your goal is, because it could lead to a relationship and it could lead to things moving forward. But yes, I think I I was so gung-ho about getting that first feature film made that. I would have written something else and just kept trying with new material. But yeah, I guess like what if like Marvel Universe, like multiverse? I'm not sure where I would be right now. Probably just with some cats typing <laughs> who knows who knows who but really yeah,
2: don't knows? be don't be demure is what was what I think is a key is like be be vocal about who you are what you want and uh what you have to offer and exactly
1: it. and it's all a balance you know all a balance between being not demure and not obnoxious <laughs> but I trust that the listeners will know that balance but yes demure is not helpful. It never helped anyone, not even the debutantes. So I would avoid. Well, Leanne, we always end the interview with a very simple question or it could be complicated. Who knows? Um, But, um, we would like to know what scares you. Oh my gosh. I'm a scaredy cat. I gotta say, it's really ghosts, you guys. Like ghosts are so scary. Like <laughs> I, I, I like, so, like,
2: go whenever someone says that's ghost.
1: That's like the best answer Leanne, I've heard so far. It is a great straight it up is, ghost.
2: It is straight up. I mean, but whenever someone scary. says ghost for some reason, I still think of like the sheet with the cutouts of the eyes.
1: Uh I, the David Lowry <laughs> <laughs> version like of the
2: ghost. Yeah, like yeah. The, the lady on the stairs. Like that's what I think uh, yeah. of. But what kind what do you think of when you think ghosts? Like, why did ghosts scare you so much? What is that vision? in your mind of a ghost? Like standing at the foot of your bed, rotting and just Ugh. looking at you in the middle of the night?
1: I think it's because it's irrational. And it's because if it's trying to get me like, what the hell am I going to do about it? There's nothing I can do. That ghost is going to do what it wants. And it's funny because you'd think it'd be like real things that first come to mind, like a serial killer. Like that could actually happen in my life. And I'm not saying, I mean, I, I believe in ghosts, but the chance of a murderous ghost trying to murder me are pretty slim. But yet there's something about just the idea of, it can just do what it wants. So I tried yeah, to see- seen, you Yeah, you have seen
2: the entity, haven't you? <laughs>
1: Oh, I have not, but oh, I know. No,
2: don't see the entity. You talk about ghosts doing what they want. That is not the film to see for you.
1: And it's, a, it's so sad because my life is so sad, you guys, because um, I love Haunting of Hill House, the novel. It's one of my favorite books ever. It's a horror masterpiece, just amazing novel. And there's no way I'm watching that show. There's <laughs> no way. It looks way too scary and I've amazing. Heard, but oh, I'm man, it. it has it. some
0: moments. Yeah. Uh, if you're afraid of ghosts. It'll haunt your dreams. I mean, I, I usually not afraid or like affected long-term, like I'll maybe in the moment, but it doesn't carry with me. There were some nights where I was going to bed after watching that show where I was like, "Mm -mm, no, I I need lights on. I, where'd my light light go? Like, yeah.
1: What are you going to do? You can't do anything. Who are you
2: going to call, though, is the better question.
1: Oh, my gosh. If only the <laughs> Ghostbusters were real, then I would feel safer at night.
2: <laughs> what's next for you, Leanne? Where, where are you headed next? What's your next project? Can you talk about it? Can you not talk about it? What, what's on the horizon for Leanne? Um,
1: Nothing specific to be able to talk about yet, but definitely moving towards making that second feature. So looking forward to, I think it will be another horror film is the goal. You know, working to get those resources together, which has been fun. And then, yeah, we'll see if, you know, TV is where a lot of things are happening right now, although my first love is certainly feature films. But yeah, we'll see if TV will be in the mix there as well. But I have a much scarier... The thing about Student Body is it's, it's wonderful, but I, I made it to be um, a sleepover movie. So the kind of movie you could pop on when you're like 14 years old that you would love to watch with over a sleepover. But the script I have now that I want to made want to make um, next does have ghosts. It's actually way scarier. So I basically wrote like my worst fears into a script. And that's what I want to make next. So let's do this. If you're, if you're scared, <laughs>
2: you know, yeah, if you're scared of it, other people will be scared as scared as you are yeah. of those things. So I, I really am looking forward to that. Where can people <laughs> where can people find student body
1: It'll actually be available to stream on February 8th of next year. So February 8th, 2022. Um, It'll be available on all VOD platforms to rent like iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all of that. Um, So, so excited for people to be able to rent it and watch it then. We do have an Instagram page, which is student- underscore body underscore film. So please follow us for all the stuff as we're getting ready for our big release in February. And then I post sometimes on Instagram. So please follow me. Uh, it's at L-A-A-N-W-H-O, Lan Who. It's an old nickname. So don't worry about it. But it <laughs> was, was
2: your old it was your old instant messenger aol instant Messenger oh my name. gosh
1: i think <laughs> my AIM, <laughs> aim name was in a yellow sub because i was into the beatles great, great. oh wow we,
2: we yeah, have a whole yeah. other show that we can talk about that then
1: <laughs> i know
2: thank you leanne for coming on the show i'm sure people will reach out say hello to you on the social nets and we can't wait to hear what comes from you uh in the ghost land with your new feature that you're thinking <sighs> about and developing and maybe we'll have you back to, to chat some more
1: sounds great and thank you so much to both of you this was this is really fun and can't wait for everybody to be able to see student body on February 8th it's going to be great ton of fun
2: Katie I think that was one of my favorite interviews of the season it could be one of my favorite interviews of all 35 episodes that so far Leanne is profound she's well spoken she is very creative she's very talented she has a lot of wonderful things today and I think if you stuck through it to the end if you're listening still which you should be you have learned quite a bit about a lot That's all I have to say.
0: I I feel like I have to, like, if she was such a professional and so well-spoken, I feel like I need to, like, clean up around my own edges there, like. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like just she, I mean, she's, like, and I talk about editing, and we, by the way, we are still looking for an intern to edit some of these episodes, but I'll talk to you about the least edited episode. This was it. I had to edit very little of this episode because she, she didn't um omelette she knew what she wanted to say she was very to the point again very well spoken leanne thank you for making my edit life easy thank you very much
0: i think a lot of that comes from that shakespearean background it does uh, has yeah. to
2: eloquent very eloquent
0: mm-hmm. but i think she's shown some light on some like under underused like what we were here discussing previously those underused um angles for showing off those work the screenplay is and oh, yeah adding to the reception of it from a studio executive perspective.
2: Totally. Totally. The undercurrents. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what, Katie? Next week. Guess what? Next week is next episode. Christmas Eve next episode.
0: Christmas Eve Christmas episode. Christmas,
2: Christmas Eve episode. <laughs> 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 jingle, 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 jingle. Bells. Jingle, jingle, jingle. jingle yeah. those bells. Yeah. Jingle those bells. Ring those bells. <laughs> ring those bells. and It's going to be a doozy, Katie. Isn't it going to be a doozy? It is going
0: to be a doozy. It's going to be a it, you might call it even a twist.
2: You may call it a um. twist, a big twist, but it is a f- it, I can I can't really at this time and place think of a better guest to be on for Christmas Eve. A- and I'm not I'm I'm not going to give this away because I want it to be a surprise, but this guest is Christmas this guest is horror, this guest is screenwriting, this guest is already established screenwriter, and a movie that you've probably seen if you're listening to this right now and you're saying, damn, that's one of the best Christmas horror movies I've seen in recent memory. That's the kind of guest we're going to have on Christmas Eve, next Friday, be there or be square. It's going to be fantastic, jingle bells, jingle bells, ba da ba 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 and until then, until that Christmas Eve episode, we want you to say hi to us. Well, you can find us on the social nets. You can check us out on Twitter, at PC. You can go to Instagram, at Screenwriters Podcast. You can even go to Facebook. We got a page there. We got a spot all carved out, Screamwriters Podcast on Facebook. Or you can uh, check us out online, www, like I like to say and don't have to say, ScreamwritersPodcast.com reach out check out all the old episodes say hi to us all of that jazz until then what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to keep writing
0: and stay scared